0: The first chapter of the book of Hebrews is the place of reading, the first chapter of Hebrews. And this morning I want to preach a sermon on the foundational doctrine, the truth about Jesus Christ. God after He spoke, this is verse 1 of chapter 1, God after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, and many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as He has inherited a more excellent name than they. When I was pastoring at Tulia, as a matter of fact, I I took a group of... uh, kids on a mission trip to North Dakota, and we um, were up there about a week in the northern part of North Dakota, near the border of Canada, and did vacation Bible school in several little communities. It was on about a Thursday of that week that it was one of those days that you just never will forget. As a matter of fact, two of those girls, two of the girls we uh, took with us, one was Carolyn Foreman, I remember, the Bradleys will recognize that name, got in a house of an old man that wasn't going to let them leave, and when we all got back to the, to the uh, rallying point, it, they weren't there, and of course, great anxiety was a part of that day, we looked for those girls, but, but it was just a, one of those exciting days, I mean, one of those days you never will forget. And we got back into our uh, place where we were staying in this church that night, and we were sharing about the experiences of the day. And, and the kids were so, you know, uh, you know, hyper, and they were talking, and they were, they were just astounded that they had, had met someone that day that had never heard of Jesus. This uh, area was near a, a large Air Force base, and they had met somebody who had never even heard the name Jesus, as far as that person was concerned. And, and they, they just couldn't believe that in this modern age they could meet somebody who had never even heard of Jesus, never even heard His name. But in the conversation that developed in that night of sharing, it, we, the, we begin to discover that, that a lot of us, even though we had, had heard His name all our life, didn't know much about Him ourselves. And that we had grown up, you know, to, to call the name Jesus. And we knew that He died on the cross. And that was about all that, that, that we didn't know about Him. And there was this college student in the group. And he's kind of, you know, kind of shyly or kind of embarrassed, really. He, he told that he, had, he, he was a student at Texas Tech. And he said, you know, I, I had this, I've had this religious faith that my parents taught me. He said, I got down to tech. He said, my teacher was an agnostic. And he said, I, I'd never met anybody that didn't believe in God. And he said, um, there were people in my dorm that didn't believe the Bible. That didn't believe, didn't believe the Bible. He said, they believe it's just a book of myths. And he said, you know He said, I've kind of had this faith, but it's really not my faith. It's, it's my parents' faith. And what we uh, kind of concluded in that meeting that a lot of us, just have a kind of a hand-me-down religion. Now, a hand-me-down faith or a hand-me-down religion is kind of like hand-me-down clothes. Now, we've all had to wear hand-me-downs from time to time. And the only problem with wearing, you know, handed-down clothes is that they don't always fit everywhere. And you, you feel kind of self-conscious when you get out in public, you know. You've, you've, you've felt that. As long as you, you know, wearing them in the house where nobody could see you is just fine. But if you got out in public, you just felt kind of self-conscious because they didn't always fit everywhere. Now, a hand-me-down faith is like that. I mean, it, it's fine as long as you're at home. But when you graduate, you know, and you get out there in the real world, you find that it doesn't always fit. And whenever some young person or young adult comes up to me and says, you know, he says, well, my faith was fine, you know, when I was a kid back home in in Timbuktu, but now out in the real world, it just doesn't fit my lifestyle anymore. Well, I know that guy, that kid has a a hand-me-down faith. And I believe that every generation needs to discover God for itself. And every generation needs to discover Christ or the truth for itself. And that's why I've introduced this this series of doctrinal sermons. And I want us to begin at the most important part of this, and that is the discovery of Jesus Christ. Because if you bypass Him, you'll always be searching and never come to the knowledge of the truth. For Jesus Christ is foundational to Christianity. Now, there is something that separates Christianity from all other world religions. And the thing that makes Christianity, that gives it, it, gives it its uniqueness, is Jesus Christ. And you say, well, now wait a minute. In the thing that makes Buddha unique is Buddha, and in the thing that makes Islam unique, Muhammad. Isn't it the same? No, it really isn't, because you can separate all other religions from their founders and you still have the religion. And, and, and the founders of those religions can die and you can still have that religion as long as you salvage their teaching and their, and their modeling. But you can't do that with Christianity. Because we're not just, you know, finding the teachings of Jesus or the example of Jesus and following that example of that teaching. Listen, Christianity is Christ. And you can't separate Christ from Christianity. As a matter of fact, you can be a Buddhist and never have a personal relationship with Buddha, but you can't be a Christian and not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what the book of Hebrews is about is to establish the truth about Jesus because these people were in danger of losing their truth about Christ. There were others who were kind of weaseling their way into that group, and they were saying, well, Jesus is God, all right, but He's not the only God. Jesus is good, but He's not the only good. Jesus is a prophet, but He's not the only prophet. He's just one in the succession of many. And so the author of the book of Hebrews wrote this letter to establish or to define the truth about Jesus. Three things from this text. First of all, Jesus is God creating. He said, by Him all things were made. He is the creator. He is the agent through whom God made all that He made. As a matter of fact, way back in the prologue, John said, all things were made by Him, and there is nothing that is made that He didn't make. That's pretty plain. He is the power of creation. And I think that you would be theologically and exegetically correct if you read Genesis 1 like this. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. That's pretty astounding. That the baby of Matthew 2 is the same as the creator of Genesis 1. And that he who was made man, made man. And that the person who leaned upon the breast of a woman, made the woman. The astounding thing about Christianity is that, that this Jesus who at one time made things in the carpenter shop as a boy with his hands created the world by the word of his power. He is the power of creation. And he is the preserver of creation. He said that he upholds all things. Now there's a lot of speculation about what's going to happen to this world in the next generation and I'm always hearing somebody say, you know, I'm afraid some fool sometime is going to push the wrong button and it's going to burn this earth up like a cinder. I don't know if it's going to happen like that or not. But I know this if it happens like that, it'll be because Jesus gave it the okay to happen like that. Paul says in Colossians that by him all things hold together. The word is consist, it's, it's the word that means adhesive. In other words, Jesus is the glue that holds everything together. He's the glue of the galaxies. He's the thing that keeps this cosmos from being chaos. And the Bible says that if you remove Jesus from creation, everything will return to its original non-existence. In other words, if you take Jesus out of creation, this planet will crumble to dust and the dust will disappear. That word uphold is a powerful word. The word means literally to guide along its course, to control in its course. And it means that Jesus keeps the planets in their courses and he keeps the sun shining and he puts the moon in the right place. And you need to underline that phrase, all things, because your life is included in that. And what he's saying is this, that Jesus is the one who guides and controls your life and keeps it in, in its proper place. So if somebody says to me, well, what's happening to me? My world is coming apart. My marriage is coming apart. My life is falling apart. What's the matter with this world? It's coming apart. Well, my answer might be, is, maybe we've we've left out the glue. Now, listen to me carefully. If God can hold this cosmos in place by the word of His creating Christ, He can certainly hold your life together, and He can hold your marriage together, and He can hold your business together. He is the preserver of creation. He is the possessor of creation. He he said he was made heir of all things. Now the question is, where is everything headed? I mean, where is all this headed? I've heard that asked a lot of times as people pick up the newspaper or turn on the local news. Where is all this headed? I mean, this fermentation of the world and this chaotic condition of the world, where is it all headed? Well, let me tell you where it's headed. It's headed straight to Christ. He said all things will one day be His footstool. He's the heir of all things. It means that one day everything will appear in the presence of the heir. Now that word world there is an interesting word. It doesn't just mean the material planet. It means ages. It doesn't mean material things. It means time and history. What He's saying is this, that, that the greatest mistake you and I will ever make is to assume that that house is ours that we make payments on, $600 a month. One of the greatest mistakes you will ever make is to assume that this life is yours because you dressed it this morning and fed it. That guy was a fool who said, I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. He's not. If you're the master of your fate and the captain of your soul, why is your life so messed up now? If you're the master of your fate and the captain of your soul and you're in, this is your life and all you've got to do when they stretch you out on that table and get ready to embalm you is just bring yourself back to life again. You're not the owner and possessor of this life. He is. Jesus is God creating. Secondly, Jesus is God speaking. Now notice what He says. He says, for this reason we must pay closer attention. Back to verse 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. Now, if God is a God of love, He must reveal Himself because one of the great characteristics of love is that it will not shut itself in. I mean, if you love somebody, you're going to have to tell them that. Sometime or another, you're going to have to tell them. You can't keep from it. If you love somebody, some, some you, day, you're going to have to show that, express that because the nature of love is that it cannot be shut up. And because God is a God of love, from the very beginning, He started... Revealing himself. Now, patiently and slowly, at first, he revealed himself, he said, because he couldn't give us, you know, his revelation of himself all at once. We weren't ready for it. It'd be like taking a kindergarten kid in a room and trying to teach him calculus. He's not ready for it yet. And so, slowly, there is this progressive revelation. And then he says, now, in these last days, he has revealed himself. In his son. Now, does God have anything to say? You bet he has something to say. What does he have to say? He has Jesus. That's what he has to say. Three things about this the revelation of God in Jesus is the final revelation. Now, God revealed himself in creation and has revealed himself in creation, but it's incomplete. The psalmist said, Tim will paraphrase, every night I go out and Look into the heavens and listen to God speak eloquently in the stars. Exactly what He was saying. But it was an incomplete revelation. God spoke through the, speaks through the conscience so that we just inherently know right and wrong. But that's an incomplete revelation. And He spoke through the law and the prophets, an incomplete revelation. And now He said He has come to speak the final revelation, that is the revelation that's in His Son. Now what God has to say to you, He has said and has completely said finally in His Son, and, and you can throw away the, you can throw away the crystal balls and you can fire the gurus. All He's going to say he said in Jesus. That's the final revelation. It's the full revelation. Now watch this. He said it was the outshining the brightness of his glory the shining the outray of his brilliance and involved in that word is reflection you see because the bible says that god dwells in an unapproachable light and no man can see god and live so we have to see his reflection it'd be like the sun you can't go out and stare at the sun but you can look at the reflection of the sun and the, son, the reflection is no less real than the original source. Jesus is the reflection of His brightness and glory, but He's no less real than, the, than God Himself. It's just so that we can see Him. And the Scripture says that He is the exact representation of His nature. It means that Jesus is not a copy of God. Jesus is God. So that God the Father and God the Son are one and the same. I don't know. You say, I don't understand that, neither do I. If I could understand it, it wouldn't be much to it. Why, are we, why do we have a problem with the finite mind's inability to understand the infinite? Let me tell you what he's saying here in this passage. He's saying that everything you need to know about God, you'll find out in Jesus. Jesus. He's the full revelation. He is the filial revelation. You know what that means? It means that through Jesus Christ you can know God personally. You can know God personally. It means that God, that Jesus has made God personal. He has made the unapproachable approachable. He has made the invisible visible. So that in Jesus Christ, man can know God in a personal way. He is the filial revelation. Jesus is God speaking. One last thought, please. Not only is Jesus God creating, Jesus is God speaking, but Jesus is God acting. Now one of the most important things you'll ever discover about God is that God does not sit passively observing His creation from afar. That word uphold means that God is active in creation now. And that's what Jesus meant when His Pharisees kept hounding Him and and they were challenging Him on the fact that He was saying that He was doing the work of God. And Jesus turned to them and He said, My Father hitherto has worked And is working, and I work. Let me tell you what Jesus said there. He said, God created this universe, but He didn't stop being active in His creation, and I'm just doing the same thing the Father does. Jesus is God acting. Three things Jesus is God acting as Savior. He said that He made purification for our sins and then He sat down at the right hand of God, the throne of the majesty on high, after He made purification for our sins. Now in the, day of the, in the ancient day, in the Bible day, when a person got sick, they associated that sickness with sin. So if you got sick, you were considered unclean. And when you were considered unclean, you couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't go into the place where people worshiped God, you couldn't go into the place where God was. And when you got healed of your sickness, suppose you got leprosy and, and you were declared unclean and so you couldn't go into the synagogue, you couldn't worship God, but you got healed from leprosy, who was, being, who was the first person you had to go to? The priest. And so the healed man would go to the priest and the priest would announce that he was clean, that he was whole. It was called the announcement of purification. And what it meant was that the priest was declaring this person fit to worship God again. Now listen to me. Look here. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He not only forgave us of our sin but He qualifies us or makes us fit to go into God's presence. He makes us fit to enter in to the holiest place on earth. That's where God is. It's called the announcement of purification, so that He forgave our sins and made it possible for us to to enter into God's presence. So I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to make a da- mad dash in a minute for the airport and head to Sin City, you know, Las Vegas, where the convention's been held. Let me tell you something. Even there, you can enter into the presence of God if you've been born again. That's what the author of the book of Hebrews means when he says that we now, because of His blood, have access with boldness to His throne. He acts as Savior. But Jesus is God acting as sovereign. Now this is what he says here. He says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Three things about that word, that, that, that thought. One, it suggests a work that's been finished. Now I challenge you, you pick up the Old Testament and you read through the Old Testament, and you find me one place where the High Priest ever sat down. It wasn't in his chairs in the place where the high priest served. Because he never finished his work. You read through the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is this marvelous Uh, an, An analogy of the Jewish religion Showing that Jesus completed all the requirements of the law And you show me anywhere in the book of Hebrews That the high priest ever sat down Why? Because there was always the necessity of another sacrifice But when Jesus paid the price for our sin And made the one sacrifice at Calvary He sat down Now that means that He finished the work of redemption It suggests a work finished. It suggests a work begun because what is he doing where he's sitting now? What's he doing right now? Well, the scripture says that he sat down at the right hand of God in order that he might make intercession for it. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing right now. He started a new work. He's praying for us. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for you. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for this service and this invitation that's about to follow. He's interceding. He's praying for us right now. He's begun this new work. And John says in his epistle that my salvation is secured by his intercession. The fact that he's interceding for me. It suggests a work yet to be done. How long is he going to sit there? Well, I don't know how long he's going to sit there. He doesn't even know how long he's going to sit there. But he's going to sit there until God comes to him, God the Father, and God says to him, all right, it's time to wrap it all up in a little package. And the Bible says that not the angels nor the sun know when that is, but one day, it could be today, it could be in the next 30 minutes, it could be in the next minute, God's going to come there to where Jesus is, and he's going to say, all right, it's time now to wrap it all up. And Jesus is going to step down on planet earth again. And the Bible says in the prophetic utterance that when he puts his foot down on planet earth again, the mountains are going to cleave asunder and the rivers are going to run over. Such will be the impact of his footstep on planet earth. And he's coming back in order to complete in eschatological significance what he came to do in the incarnation. He's going to, there's a work yet to be done. I mean, he's not finished. He's God acting a sovereign. He's God acting as supreme. Look at this word. He says in verse 4: having become as much better than the angels. Now, if you want to count them, you can, but I can tell you how many times that term, much better, appears in the book of Hebrews. Thirteen times. It's the theme word of the book of Hebrews. Because what he's doing in the book of Hebrews is establishing the fact that Jesus is superior to everything else. He said, now you can take, uh, you know, he's, he's better than the angels. The angels are the highest order of creation, just a little lower than God. He's better than them. And he said, You can take Aaron and Melchizedek. Read this sometime. I mean, the high mochus of religion. I mean, the, the big shots, the big cigars. You, you, take, you, take, uh, uh, you take Melchizedek and you take Aaron, and Jesus is bigger than them, better than them. And he said, You get Moses, the giver of the law, and Jesus is better than, than him. As a matter of fact, Jesus is better than everybody, he's saying, better than anything. You believe that? The fact is that in your life and mine, there are a lot of things for us that are much better than Jesus. fact is. That's true. Now, one of the things I really enjoy about Vacation Bible School is that I get to go into the classrooms, third grade through sixth grade, and share the, the gospel with them. And I have found this to be true of little kids, that Jesus is the hero. I mean, they all like Him. They're uncontaminated, you know, they're they're not they're not messed up yet, and so you go you go in you talk to little kids and everybody you can just see it on their on their faces. I mean, you start talking about Jesus and I mean he's the hero. They all love him. You find me a kid, third grade kid doesn't love Jesus. I'll I'll surrender my papers. They, they all love him. They think he's great. Something happens. Long now, what happened? What happened to you? When did it happen? When did it happen to me that Jesus started being not so important? What has happened that he's had to take a back seat to all this other stuff? I mean, the book of Hebrews is pretty relevant to me. Because what the author is saying is this. Hey, hey you need to get back to the place where Jesus is Supreme, more important than material possessions and more important than, than that peer group and more important than that boyfriend, girlfriend more important than a house. you need to get back to the place where you understand what Jesus is about. He's supreme. that's what it's about. I wonder that if God... If God wanted you this morning to step out into this aisle and say, come forward and say, I want to receive Jesus Christ into my life, would you be willing to do it if God wanted you to do that? I want Jesus as my Savior. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who would like to step out in this aisle and come forward here before everybody else say, I want Jesus to be supreme in my life. I've given place to so much junk I want him to be the number one w- would you be willing to do that would you be willing to come this morning to say I- I'd like to place my life in the church that Jesus loves so I can serve him there not keep it a, you know to myself would you be willing to do that there might be some little boys and girls that gave as much as they knew about themselves over to as much as they knew about the Lord in Bible school. You, you got saved in Bible school. You don't know what it's all about, really. I don't either. But you'd like to come and say, you know, I, I accepted Christ. You just come and I'll tell the folks if you want to be baptized. I wonder if you want to do that. After we've had a word of prayer, the issue this morning is this who is Jesus in your life? Father, I pray in these moments that we call a moment at time of invitation that you'll let us do what you want us to do. You'll call us with a call that we cannot reject or refuse because I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Now while we stand quietly to our feet and the choir leads our invitation hymn, we invite you to come right on the first word.